Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Josh Downs. This is Come Follow Me for Teens and for Parents of Teens. And today's episode is episode 47, Be Ye Doers of the Word and Not Hearers Only. And we're going to be taking a look at basically the book of James in its entirety. And this is an amazing book of scripture to read. There are so many just amazing scriptures to find and principles to find. It really is one of those great fishing holes, so to speak, of the scriptures where you can almost just throw in any kind of bait, line, and and catch something. Take a, a marking pencil with you this week because you're going to need it. One of the things that I experienced on my mission that was rather unique to the area in which I served, which was in Mississippi and Louisiana, or the South in general, was the concept of being saved. That was kind of new to me. I, I really hadn't come across it in my life in the way that I did in the South. As I would talk to people or knock on doors to invite them to hear the gospel message, one of the most common responses I would get was, oh, no thanks, I'm already saved. And that always kind of confused me because I thought that we were working towards salvation, that it was something that was an ongoing thing, not just a singular event. But in the general culture of the South, the day that you accepted Christ is the day that you became saved. Almost alluding to the fact that you didn't have to do anything else at that point. You had accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and therefore He had saved you. And truth be told, there are a lot of verses that teach that concept, that that salvation is free, that the gift of, of Christ is free, that we just need to accept Christ and invite him into our lives and salvation can be ours. And there's just so many verses that talk about those kinds of things. So it was easy to understand where that came from, which is one of the reasons that I love the book of James so much. He does such a great job in balancing the difference between faith and works being saved, and doing the things that bring about salvation. And so that's one of the things we're going to kind of take a look at as we get into this book this week and and our study and a few of the principles that we'll go over. But first of all, just the background of this chapter and of the curriculum and the Come Follow Me uh, material, it goes like this. Sometimes just one verse of Scripture can change the world, referencing James chapter 1, verse 5, which is another reason that I absolutely love this book. James chapter 1, verse 5 seems like a simple bit of counsel. If you need wisdom, ask God. But when 14-year-old Joseph Smith read that verse, it seemed to enter with great force into every feeling of his heart. Thus inspired Joseph acted on James' admonition and sought wisdom from God through prayer. And God did indeed liberally give Joseph one of the most remarkable heavenly visitations in human history, the first vision. This vision changed the course of Joseph's life and my life, all of our lives, and led to the restoration of the Church of Jesus Christ on the earth. All of us are blessed today because Joseph Smith read and acted on James 1.5. And then comes this part of the curriculum, which I really love. It says, what will you find as you study the epistle of James? Perhaps a verse or two will change you or someone you love. 
You may find guidance as you seek to fulfill your mission in life. You may find encouragement to speak kindly or to be more patient. You may feel prompted to make your actions align better with your faith. Whatever inspires you, let these words enter into every feeling of your heart. And then when you receive with meekness the word, as James wrote, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. Again, I love that instead of directing your study too much this week, it's left very open-ended, which is perfect for the book of James. Just go in there and read, and you will find some great gospel concepts, principles, and truths that you can take and apply in your own life in whatever situation or setting you may be in. If I was a teacher, this would be, again, one of those fishing holes. I would just turn my, my students loose Give them maybe a few questions to consider as they go in and then just let them go and find whatever they find and be led and guided and taught by the Spirit. We're going to give give you a few principles today, young people, to consider as you go through this particular book of Scripture. And the first principle I want to take a look at is just right at the beginning, just a few verses in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Turn there and mark anything in these verses that impresses you as I read them. Starting in verse 2. James counsels those that he's speaking to, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations. Now, one of the things I'd have you mark, and this is a great study skill to have, if things don't quite make sense or you have questions about something, always look for a footnote by that particular word or phrase, as oftentimes they can bring clarification in the footnotes below, as was in this case. When I first read that verse, I thought it just, it didn't feel quite right. My brother, encounter all joy when you fall into divers temptations. I don't want to be happy when I fall into temptation. I don't, I don't want to be tempted. It doesn't make sense that I should be happy in temptation. In fact, I want to avoid temptation. The scriptures are very clear that it's better to avoid temptation than to resist it. So when I read that, I thought, well, what, what is, Something's not sitting quite right here. And then when I looked down into the footnote for that particular word, temptations, there was a Joseph Smith translation next to it, which means that when Joseph himself was reading through this part of the Bible, he was inspired to correct whatever had been mistakenly put in there through previous translations throughout all the years of the Bible's history, in which this case, the JST, under the word temptation, says many afflictions. Okay, now I can run with that a little bit easier. My brother, count all joy when you fall into divers' afflictions or many afflictions. Because if there's one thing I've learned, it's that through hard things, the hard things that we go through in life, there can be some of the greatest growth and experience. And that makes sense to me that James would be alluding to that rather than temptation. In fact, he is. And then in verse 3, he points out, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Again, my faith is going to be tried more in affliction than in temptation. And then once we have that cleared up, I think it brings a little bit more power to James's point in his principle in verse 3. Knowing this, he says, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. That is the principle that I want to focus on here at the beginning, and we've probably alluded to it many times. But I don't think we can be reminded enough of this. That one of the things that we have come here to learn the most is patience. (laughs) Which is one of the hardest things to learn because we by nature are impatient people. We want what we want now. And 
To make matters worse, we live in a world where everything is being given more quickly or offered or provided than it has ever been before. Everything is fast. Everything is instant. And that is completely against our nature to wait, which is one of the things that God has sent us here to learn. I remember Elder Uchtdorf giving a wonderful talk titled Continue in Patience, where he alluded to what's famously been known as the marshmallow test. And many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with this, where there were young children that were brought into a room with a single marshmallow that was put on the table. And they were told that they could either have it right then or they could wait and receive several marshmallows after. Then those that were conducting the study would leave and just observe through a glass window what these kids would do. President Uchtdorf said it, it sounded a little bit more like torture than some kind of a, a science experiment, and indeed it was. But as they watched those kids that were able to resist the urge to have what they wanted right then and instead wait, acting on patience, they then followed these kids throughout their life and saw that that patience was exhibited in many other ways and, in fact, seemed to be an indicator of the future success and accomplishment of those individuals that even at a young age had demonstrated the quality of patience. In that talk, he says that what started as a simple experiment with children and marshmallows became a landmark study suggesting that the ability to wait or to be patient was a key character trait that might predict later success in life. And he pointed out, as, as I had, that waiting can be hard. Children know it, and so do adults. We live in a world offering fast food, instant messaging, on-demand movies, and immediate answers to the most trivial or profound questions. We don't like to wait. Some even feel their blood pressure rise when their line at the grocery store moves slower than those around them. And I can, test, I can attest to that. I have been in that situation time and time again. Why isn't this line moving? This other line is going faster. We just are always in such a hurry. But he says, patience, the ability to put our desires on hold for a time, is a precious and rare virtue. We want what we want and we want it now. Therefore, the very idea of patience may seem unpleasant and at times bitter. Nevertheless, without patience, we cannot please God. We cannot become perfect. Indeed, patience is a purifying process that refines understanding, deepens happiness, focuses action, and offers hope for peace. I remember C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite quotes from him from the book Mere Christianity, is when he said that pleasure and money and power and safety are all so far as they go good things. Those are all things that we want. We want to have pleasure. We want money. We want power. We want safety. The badness, he said, consists in pursuing them by the wrong method or in the wrong way or too much. He said, I do not mean, of course, that the people who do this are not desperately wicked. I do mean that wickedness, when you examine it, turns out to be the pursuit of goodness in the wrong way. Oh, I love that and I want to reemphasize it. I do mean that wickedness when you examine it turns out to be the pursuit of goodness in the wrong way. I want you to think about that. How true is that? And the wrong way, ironically, is often the quickest way. Think about that. The fastest way. The, the cutting corners way. As an example, I always wanted good grades. Who doesn't growing up, right? And I learned really quick that there's a right way to do that or a quick way. 
And there was one time in particular that I decided to be dishonest in submitting some homework and I had a teacher call me out on it or to be dishonest on the test because I just wanted something quick and I just didn't have the patience to wait and to do things in the right way. And I hated those moments and those times and felt terrible about them. There is a a right way to get money. We all want money, but there's also a quick way. Sometimes we may want attention or we feel like we need attention. And there's a right way to go about getting attention, but there's also the, the wrong way or the quick way. I want a relationship might be another thing that we experience. Well, there's a right way to have a relationship and there's a quick way to have a relationship. I want to feel happy. Again, the right way or a quick way. I want love. A right way or a quick way. Young people, I want you to evaluate the things that you want. Maybe even just pick one and, and try to identify that in your own life. Are you going about it in the right way or is there a quick way? I have watched over the years as people in general have tried to cut corners to get what they want because they wanted it more quickly than what was the natural way to go about and getting it. And that has always led to heartache, into problems, into temptation, into struggle. And it will continue to be that way as long as the world stands. And girls, since I have two daughters, I'm going to point out one of these specifically to you because I think this is an important one to recognize. There is a right way to get a man's attention and there's a wrong way, a quick way to get a man's attention. We live in a world that says that the easiest and quickest way to get a man's attention is through immodesty. And indeed it is. You can get all the attention in the world by dressing immodesty. But the quick way is never the way that lasts Another one for all of you young people, it's important to understand this one, that when it comes to relationships, we all want to feel safe, we want to feel secure, we want to feel a depth of connection, and there is a right way to go about that, but that way requires time and effort and talking and and learning about each other and growing closer together and doing kind things for one another. Or there's a quick way, which is a more intimate way, that so many in the world are jumping to right off the bat. Again, The quick way is never the way that lasts. And the sooner that you can learn this, the happier that you'll be in life. But guess what? It requires patience. I remember watching Harry Potter, even Dumbledore pointed this out to Harry when towards the end of all things, he said, you know, that there are dark and difficult times ahead. And soon we must all face the choice between what is right and what is easy. And I love that he didn't say what is wrong. He used the word easy because that is in many ways synonymous with what is wrong. And what could be more true said of us in our day and time that dark and difficult times lie ahead. Soon we must all face the choice between what is right and what is easy. Each and every one of you will experience that. There's no question about it. Which is why, again, patience is so important to learn and to develop. President Uchtdorf also pointed out in his talk that from experience, he had learned that patience was far more than simply waiting for something to happen. Patience required actively working toward worthwhile goals and not getting discouraged when results didn't appear instantly or without effort. He said there is an important concept here that patience is not passive resignation, nor is it failing to act because of our fears. 
Patience means active waiting and enduring. It means staying with something and doing all that we can, working and hoping and exercising faith, bearing hardship and fortitude, even when the desires of our hearts are delayed. Patience is not simply enduring. It is enduring well. I love that thought and that statement. As I look at my own life and all the ways that I've been asked to wait or to be patient, one of those that has come to the surface the most for me has been in relationships. That, for whatever reason, has been a struggle for me in my life. I remember I always wanted a girlfriend in high school, but I was just too shy to really win over any girl that I liked. I dated a lot after high school and my mission, and I wanted to get married but I didn't get married until I was 27. And even then I was married for 12 years before it ended in divorce. I met someone soon after that and I fell in love with them, but it was very short-lived and left me with a broken heart. I've dated quite a bit since and been in another relationship or two, but none of them really lasted. One person I had recently dated for two years and loved very much, but things just weren't coming together. So now I'm back to being alone. And it has been a terrible source of frustration and impatience and temptation, all those things. I could choose to feel better and less alone in some very easy ways, or I can continue to try to develop patience and just continue to wait while actively doing all that I can to be ready for those kinds of experiences when they come and do things in the right way. One of the things that has really helped me throughout this and other ways in my life that I've been asked to wait was another one of Elder Uchtdorf's talks that he gave a while back titled The Summer with Great Aunt Rose, I think is what it was called, where he told a story or kind of a parable of a young woman who lived a summer with her great aunt and came to learn that she was really one of the happiest people that she had ever met and that she was loved and cherished by all those that were in her neighborhood and community, and that she'd been a school teacher for many years and had come to love children, and, and all of her children had loved her. Yet she'd never been married nor had kids, which was one of the greatest desires of her heart. It was the thing that she wanted most, that somehow she had had to learn to live without and develop patience in even consigning herself to have to wait until the next life for that great blessing to come to her. Well, when her niece, which was spending the summer with her, asked her about how she was able to still be happy despite not having what she wanted most, this great woman shared with her the struggle that she had gone through, the discouragement, the anger, the disappointment at not being given the thing that she wanted most. But she then showed her niece a picture of a little young pioneer girl that she had on her wall who was skipping down an old dirt road. Clearly, this young girl had very little. And this picture had become a reminder that despite this girl really having not much of anything, was still skipping, finding joy in life without having much. And that if this girl could do it, so could she. From that day, she said, things started to change for her. When she allowed that thought to enter her heart and mind, she found the kids that she had always wanted in the students that she was teaching, the relationship that she had always longed for in relationships with others. She found joy in learning to skip down the road of life no matter what road life gave her. 
Now that is true patience. That is true enduring. Now I'm not sure how each of you will be asked to wait on the Lord for those things that you want most. I just know that you will be. It may come in the form of the school that you always wanted to go to or, or even just having good friends, close friends and connections. Or maybe having a boyfriend or a girlfriend or getting married or having kids or having good health or having money and success or having the career that you always wanted or a thousand other ways that we might be asked to wait. But in these moments, and it's in these moments, that you will be able to best learn patience and to trust in God's plan for you and to learn to skip through life despite what life brings to you. President Uchtdorf concluded his talk by saying that the children of Israel waited 40 years in the wilderness before they could enter the promised land. Jacob waited seven long years for Rachel. The Jews waited 70 years in Babylon before they could return to rebuild the temple. The Nephites waited for a sign of Christ's birth, even knowing that if the sign did not come, they would perish. Joseph Smith's trials in Liberty Jail caused even the prophet of God to wonder, how long? In each case, Heavenly Father had a purpose in requiring that His children wait. Every one of us is called to wait in our own way. We wait for answers to prayers. We wait for things at the time that may appear so right and so good to us that we can't possibly imagine why Heavenly Father would delay the answer. Patience means staying with something until the end. It means delaying immediate gratification for future blessings. It means reigning in anger and holding back the unkind word. It means resisting evil when it, when it appears to be making others rich. Patient means accepting that which cannot be changed and facing it with courage, grace, and faith. It means being willing to submit to all things which the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon us, even as a child does submit to his father. Ultimately, patience means being firm and steadfast and immovable in keeping the commandments of the Lord. Every hour of every day, even when it's hard to do so, in the words of John the Revelator, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and faith in Jesus. Patience is a process of perfection. The Savior himself said that in your patience you possess your souls. Or to use another translation of the Greek text, in your patience you win mastery of your souls. Patience means to abide in faith, knowing that sometimes it is in the waiting rather than in the receiving that we grow the most. This was true in the time of the Savior. It is true in our time as well, for we are commanded in these latter days to continue in patience until ye are perfected. There's a lot in there on patience, but I want to share that with you because I remember as a young person how hard patience was to come by. Some questions that I might invite you to consider, young people, as you consider your ability to wait. Number one is, what is something good that you really have wanted but that has seemed to be withheld from you for one reason or another? And how has this been hard for you to experience? How has it tested your faith? How might it be developing the quality of patience in you? Why is it so hard sometimes to be patient? Why is patience so important and necessary when it comes to our eternal development? What can you do to be more patient in the ways that you are called personally to wait? And how can you still find joy despite not having the things you want in life, in and in the way that you want them.
And how will you choose to skip down the road of life regardless of what life throws at you? hope those questions cause you to think just a little bit because I have a feeling that each and every one of you are being asked to wait for something in some way in your life. Choose to be patient in it. For our second principle today, I want to take a look at a few verses a little bit further down the line in chapter 1, starting in verse 22. And then there's a few verses in chapter 2 that I want to take a look at. Verses 14 through 19 and verse 26, they all tie together. But starting in chapter 1, verse 22, James records this key phrase, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. These verses were the beginning of what I would try to teach those I came across in the mission field, that salvation is more than just accepting Christ. That is the beginning of being saved. It's not the end of being saved. In verse 2, chapters 14 through 19, James kind of clarifies even a little bit more the importance and significance of being a doer of the word and not a hearer only. He says in verse 14, What doth it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? Verse 15, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. That's a key phrase to mark. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Verse 18, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Do you see what he's saying there? He's making the point that believing is not enough. Knowing is not enough. Even Satan and his angels know God and believe in him. But it's what we do that matters and where that belief is best found. Verse 26, if you'll jump down to to the end of the chapter, James writes, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. There really is a balance between the two that we need to come to understand. A person cannot be saved without following the laws and ordinances and commandments of the gospel. Yet, At the same time, there is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to earn salvation. That that gift can only be given through Christ. So, yes, salvation is free, but there are things that we need to do to qualify for salvation and for that gift. I remember, I think it was Robert Millett, just a, a great church historian, that in addressing that thought and concept, I am saved, which is so prevalent in the South. When he had first heard that, he caused him to to think quite a bit about what does it mean to live in a saved uh, condition? Are there ways and times in which we might be able to say, I am saved? And, And he remembered, he thought to himself, you know what? I am holding in my pocket a card that in many ways defines whether or not I am living in a saved condition. And that is my temple recommend. Really, God has given us all the things we need to know and do to help us enter into his presence. And if I can go through those questions that I have gone through to get that card and answer yes to them, then in essence, I am living in a saved state. 
And yes, there is nothing I can do in and of myself to be saved. But yet these are the questions and the commandments and the things that God has asked me to do to qualify to come back into his presence and to be given that great gift of salvation. And isn't that just a wonderful thought, young people? And I love that for myself. And I've remembered all throughout my life. That is one of the reasons why that temple recommend is so vital and so valuable to you. It is a physical representation of the ability to live in a saved state and to know that if you were to die at that moment, if you were to go before God in that moment, that you would be okay, that you would qualify for all the blessings of salvation and exaltation. Now, Elder Bednar clarified some of this a little bit more when he said that knowing by the power of the Holy Ghost that Jesus is the Christ is important and necessary but earnestly coming unto him and giving our whole souls as an offering requires much more than merely knowing. Conversion requires all of our heart, all of our might, and all of our mind and strength. In other words, we can and should study scriptures, general conference talks, and church materials and study them often. But unless we apply what the Savior taught, merely knowing what he taught won't transform us. President Mark L. Pace, along with that, said that the Spirit motivates us to act. And so the best way that we can become doers of the Word is to have the Spirit with us. That's one of the reasons that we take the sacrament every week. We promise that we'll take upon us the name of Christ and always remember Him and then do things, right, by keeping His commandments. Those are calls to action. Then as we do those things, the blessings we receive is to always have His Spirit to be with us. The sacrament helps us to live the doctrine of Christ. It helps us to increase our faith in Him. It prompts us to repent, which is a call to action. It prompts us to strive to do better by remembering Him during the week. And one of the roles of the Holy Ghost is to show unto you all things what ye should do. If you remember, Elder Oaks taught that in contrast to other preaching, which teaches us to know something, the gospel of Jesus Christ challenges us to become something. In other words, it's not enough to know the gospel. We must become the gospel in everything that we say and do. When the Savior gave the great call to let your light so shine, he really gave a call to action, to let others see our actions, to let them see what we do so that they will glorify God. And the truth is the choices that we make in life will always be best seen through our actions. I remember Elder Maxwell once saying that if you have not chosen the kingdom of God first, it will in the end make no difference what you have chosen instead. And what we choose will always be seen in what we do. Let's remember, as somebody once said, to live your life in such a way that others that know you but don't know God will want to know God because they know you. Now, a couple of key questions here is, number one, how do people know and see what you believe? How is your faith seen by others? How can you better find ways to apply what you learn in your own life? What actions might the Spirit even right now be telling you to take, telling you to do? And if the Spirit is the key to applying gospel truth in living, then what do you need to do to have the Spirit with you more each and every day? 
And then maybe as a final call to action, what will you do today to show your love for God and for others? Now, the last principle I want to take uh, take a look at today kind of goes along with this last one is one of the best ways for us to show our faith is in the things that we say, in the words that we use. And those can be very significant and yet also very hard to control. And I think is one of the reasons that after speaking about the difference between doing being a doer and a hearer of the word, James then takes that almost to application by talking about the power that can be found in the words that we speak and in learning to control those and be a doer of the word through the things that we say. Starting verse chapter 1, verse 26, he points this out. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Now that's a big kind of conclusion to draw, but I, I know and I believe it's an it's a accurate one. That the person that can't control their tongue is not living their religion very well, no matter how much they know or how much they believe. Chapter 3, verses 2 through 5. Go there and look at how James further clarifies this in the power of our words. He says, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and also able to bridle the whole body. Again, another amazing and deep truth to point out. That if we're able to not offend in word then we are on our way to becoming a perfect man and and we have more power and are more able to bridle or control the entire body if we can just control our tongue. Verse 3, he goes on to give a little bit of a metaphor, an analogy of how important it is. He says, Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold, also ships which... Though they be so great, are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter of a little fire kindleth. In other words, our words, the things that we say, our tongue, though it is small, leads to some very profound things for good or for evil. If you'll turn to chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, he talks even more in length about this. Verse 8, But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be. I know that we're all familiar with the old adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? Well, that may have been true once upon a time, but it sure isn't true today. In fact, in my opinion, it was never true. Just something people would say to probably make themselves feel better from the hurt of words that were spoken to them. Maybe even to remind ourselves that we can be resilient when it comes to what others might say uh, or do to us. But the truth is, words hurt. They always have. But I love that James points out and reminds us that in learning to control our tongue, it can lead to some amazing things. We can actually, in effect, learn to better control every other part of us, of our bodies, of our lives. If we can just begin by starting to learn to control our tongue. 
Apparently, the more that we learn to bridle our tongue, the more we'll be able to bridle every other part of us. Proverbs 29 verse 11 is a great cross-reference where it just simply says, we read, a fool uttereth all his mind. (laughs) If we're familiar with the phrase, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me, then I'm sure that we must also all be familiar with the phrase that if you can't say anything nice about someone, don't say anything at all. Drawing again from the infinite wisdom of Albus Dumbledore and Harry Potter, I probably referenced this quote before, but it's become one of my favorites. He once said to Harry that words are, in my not-so-humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic, capable of both inflicting injury and remedying it. And young people, I would invite you to consider how are you using the magic, the power that can be found in your words to either bless or to curse, to hurt or destroy, to lift and build or to break down, to heal or to hurt. Elder Marvin J. Ashton once said on the subject that none of us need one more person bashing or pointing out where we have failed or fallen short. Most of us are already well aware of the areas in which we are weak. What each of us does need is family, friends, employers, and brothers and sisters who support us, who have the patience to teach us, who believe in us, who believe we're trying to do the best we can in spite of our weaknesses. Whatever happened to giving each other the benefit of the doubt? Whatever happened to hoping that another person would succeed or achieve? Whatever happened to rooting for each other? And the best way that we can do all of that is through the things that we say. And young people, this is imperative for you to learn while you are young, especially because everywhere you go in school, I'm confident you will hear talk that is hurtful towards others, destructive and degrading of others. Learning to control your tongue now, the things that you say, might seem like a small thing, but it will eventually lead to mastery over every other part of you. A person might know all that there is about the gospel, but as James says, if he can't control his tongue, then his religion is vain, or it means nothing to him and doing nothing for him. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. So take it upon yourself, young people, to learn to control your tongues and the things that you say. Master your mouth and you will master yourself. With your words, build instead of destroy. Offer hope instead of hurt. Let your words bring joy instead of pain. Lift others up through what you say, not make life heavier for them. This is one of the greatest powers that you have been given, that you have. And it's through words that power and miracles have always been performed by God. Even from the very beginning, God just simply said a word, or a few words. He said, let there be light, and there was light. Jesus is referred to as the Word. Clearly, God is teaching us that words have power and meaning, and that you have that power in you. So a couple key questions for you to consider from this principle in the book of James. How have you recently experienced pain, discouragement, and sorrow through someone else's words recently? How have you experienced joy, hope, and peace through someone else's words recently? What parts of your language needs to be cleaned up and maybe bridled a little? (laughs) 
And what can you do to better weigh it before you say it? I've always loved that phrase. How can you use the power of your words to bless someone today? And will you do it? And maybe as a final call to action, I would invite you to just send a message today to someone that lifts and builds and encourages them. That's how we become doers of the word and not hearers only. That's a thing you can do today to apply everything that you've learned. Or maybe there's something else that the Spirit has been directing you to do, but that's what the Spirit does, is He helps us to learn, but then most importantly, helps us to then live and apply those things that we learn into life. I hope that this has been helpful to you guys this week. As always, please remember that that person is greatest and most blessed and joyful, whose life most closely approaches the pattern of the Christ. That's what this is all about. And this has nothing to do with earthly wealth, power, or prestige. Those are not the things that will make a person happy. The only true test of greatness, blessedness, joyfulness, is how close a life can come to being like the Master Jesus Christ. He is the right way, the full truth, and the abundant life. And the best part about it all is he invites us all to come follow me. So what do you say we follow him better this week and become better as we follow him? Let's bridle our tongues. Let's be doers of the word and not hearers only. And let's practice patience this week. Thank you for joining me this week. This is Josh Downs. And until next week, you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens and for Parents of Teens.